Hello and welcome to this special Masters edition of the Golf Shake podcast. My name is Kieran Clark, and normally I would be joined by my regular co-host and most delightful colleague, Mr. Owen Davis. But sadly, Owen has abandoned us and has spent the past fortnight or so travelling around the United States. Very nice indeed, but really I'm not sure how he's found that time. We'll have to compare contracts because something's not quite right there. Three weeks off, come on. However, Owen had actually initially suggested he was actually going to join us uh, from Las Vegas of all places. Which, you know, forgive my ignorance, it's always seemed to me to be something of a jumped-up Blackpool without the chips. However, that was never going to happen. But as we move on to this hotly anticipated first men's major of the year from Augusta National, we have filled up the void left by Owen with a pair of quite superb replacements. They can't both be rubbish, right? Two friends of the podcast and two gentlemen with a depth of knowledge and opinions to throw around in despair. Obviously, in the, in the past throughout history, we've had Abbott and Costello, Morecambe and Wise, the two Ronnies, Buzz and Woody, Cannon and Ball, Wallace and Gromit. But those guys have nothing on Fuzzy and Matt. Stuart Armstrong and Golf Shake's favourite ambassador, Mr. Matt Holbrook. Although I have to say, I still prefer Anton Deck. However... Welcome to the podcast, Fuzzy. First of all, you, Stuart. Welcome to the podcast once again, your first appearance of this year. How are you uh, this evening and uh, how are you happy to be back on the podcast? Hello and uh, thank you very much for having me back. Um, must say I'm a, a bit disappointed because when you first contacted me to say you want me to be involved in the Golf Shake um, preview to the Masters, I was already halfway booking my tickets to Augusta, thinking yes, we've sorted out some media passes at last, we're on our way to Augusta at last uh, and no, it's only the podcast, but thank you anyway for having me back Well, it's a pleasure and I must say it was partly a necessity that you are back, but of course we were happy to have you back because you bring so much to the podcast, so much knowledge and insight and uh, great statistical knowledge and so on and uh, yeah, media passes for the Masters we, we can all dream of that and uh, we can't get our media pass into you know, anything really these days. It's very harsh. We seem to be discriminated against by the powers that be. But I like to think that's because we're kind of renegades on the kind of out, outskirts of society. And uh, mind you, I'm pretty sure after I personally heavily criticised the RNA, I'm not sure any open championship passes will be coming our way very soon. However, <laughs> such is life. Yes. Moving swiftly on from that uh, controversial situation, on to uh, Matt Holbrook, who, of course, as everyone will know, is a Golf Shake ambassador and uh, always is uh, out there doing course reviews and so on, feature reviews and equipment reviews. He's always there championing the brand. And uh, Matt, it's always a pleasure to have him on for these podcasts for another appearance. It's his third appearance in the podcast. Uh, so, Matt, it's good to have you. A late draft in, but uh, we're very happy to have you. So, Matt, how are you on this? Well, I have to say Monday morning it is now. It is Monday morning. Um, I'm very, very happy to be here once again. Um, I've still got the shakes following the golf this evening that I know that we're going to talk about in a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very, very pleased to be on. And I'm super, super excited now for this week. Well, there's so much to be excited about. But yeah, you, you touched on it there. Uh, tonight's golf from the Houston Open and the PGA Tour. Ian Poulter completed one of the most incredible stories uh, I think we've seen for a long time in the men's game, particularly. Obviously, the story's been well documented where Ian uh, last week going into the two weeks ago, sorry, going to the World Match Play, the WGC Match Play. 
he had a, a great chance to potentially qualify for the, from the Masters there. The top 50 in the world at the end of last week got into the Masters automatically uh, invitations and Ian got to the, the quarterfinals and he was told by, I think it was the Golf Channel, uh, that that was enough for him to actually get into the field at Augusta. But then, just a few minutes before he was to tee off in his uh, quarterfinal match against Kevin Disner on the Sunday, he was told that, no, that wasn't enough. He was just going to come slightly short and he was certainly rocked by that, and he was beaten quite convincingly. Uh, then coming into Houston, as everyone knows, the Masters is a very tough field to get into. Invites only. If you don't make it, that's it. There's not a set number of players in the field at all. It's just a case of invitation criteria are there. If you don't meet it, you don't get in. And Poulter was 51st in the world, came to the Houston Open. The winner of that tournament, if they weren't already qualified, would make it to Augusta. So the story was there for Poulter to try and potentially complete a, a fairy tale victory there, but it wasn't looking very likely at all when he shot 73 on Thursday. He was way down the field. I think he was 123rd in the field. Nobody's come back from that position after round one on the PGA Tour to win in 35 years, but yet he did that. He shot, I think it was 20 under par over the last three rounds. He got into an incredible battle on Sunday with uh, Bo Hosler, a young American player who certainly a very impressive player in his own right. Uh, back and forth there. It actually looked Poulter was in control over the front nine, but then fell behind after a real barrage of birdies uh, from Hosler. But then, of course, you know Ian Poulter, that Ryder Cup hero, the maestro that he is, pulled out the bag, hold a great putt on the last, just ultimate kind of classic Poulter pressure. What a reaction. And then it became match play. And for Ian Poulter, that's obviously what he likes. And then in the playoff against Hosler, you know, Hosler obviously gifted to in many respects, but Poulter did what he had to do, completed a very comfortable victory, and uh, it was an incredible finish, and what a story. So Poulter is the last guy into the Masters tournament for this year. His first stroke play win on the PGA Tour in America, which seems quite incredible, and uh, so uh, really something else. So uh, Matt, coming to you first of all, you said there you were really electrified and thrilled by watching that tonight. It's got the adrenaline going. So watching that tonight, seeing Poulter complete you know, that amazing victory, what an effort it was. So what were your emotions watching Poulter, first of all, lead, then fall behind, but then come back to win? Well, initially, when, you know, at one point he's, he's got a three-shot lead, um, as you said, um, you know, four, four birdies on the bounce. Um, and, and at that point, I just thought to myself, he's, he's just going to come up short. And I actually tweeted to say, you know, regardless of what happens, as he was still on the ATT, I said, regardless of what happens, you know, I think, he can hold his head up high this week. Um, he can be proud of what he's done against all the odds. Um, you know, considering he's never won a stroke play event in the US as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it would have been the biggest comeback from around one position for loads of years. I think it was something like 30 years. Yeah, 35 um, years. 35 years. And I thought, actually, do you know what? If he comes up just short, yes, he's going to be extremely disappointed. Um, but on the grand scheme of things, the bigger picture he could actually be really, really proud of what he's achieved this week. Um, so mm-hmm. when he when he held that final part and you see him, you know, banging his chest and, you know, all those Medina memories come running, flooding back and, <laughs> you know, even as far back as, as, as Celtic Manor, um, you know, and at that point, mm-hmm. um, you just you just knew that he was going to win the playoff. It was a little bit, you know, I felt, I felt sorry for the other lad, the way that the playoff unfolded. But at that point, when he held up on the 18th from regulation, that was probably the final blow. And at that point, I had no shadow of doubt that he was going to do exactly what he needed to do in yep. order to 
win that playoff and get into Masters. Um, as you say, I mean, not not just this week, but the last three or four weeks on the PGA Tour with, with Rory winning, with, with Tiger coming back, um, it just sets us up for this week in the Masters in, in the best way possible. Um, I, I don't think I can remember such a, a good build-up and a good quality and dramatic golf that we've on the PGA Tour for such a long time. Um, I'm just hoping how it's not any climax. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been quite incredible the past this season on the PGA Tour, and uh, certainly with Poulter, the, the postman, as he was coined, of course, uh, he certainly delivered here. But Fuzzy, coming to you and sort of linking into that Ryder Cup chat, and obviously it's been a great run of golf in the PGA Tour, but it's been a fantastic run for European golfers as well on the PGA, PGA Tour, and Ian Poulter's just the latest guy in that. So obviously, you know, Ian Poulter's in the wrong side of 40 now. He missed the last Ryder Cup. People were thinking maybe his best days are long behind him. But Fuzzy, do you think now Poulter has a great chance to be potentially part of Thomas Bjorn's team uh, this September at the Golf National? Uh, well, based on tonight's uh, appearance, yeah. Um, I was one of the ones who when we drafted up our divisional Ryder Cup squads at the start of this year. Uh, Poulter was nowhere near that and we all thought he was going mm-hmm. to be a vice captain and he's building, building himself up to being the, the captain. He's, he's already said that he'd his preferred captain say would be Beth Page in twenty twenty four, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, twenty four. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the this, the the roadmap that Paul had ahead. Uh, and even even like a year ago or two years ago, he was struggling with injury, and we thought that's I mean, like you see, same as me, the wrong side of forty now, and you you oh, just no, see the, the, the golfers have, <laughs> <laughs> the golfers have reached that peak and the. the they they do come and take part occasionally, but you, you never see them sort of come back the way that Poulter has come back. That is now knocking on the door of the, the top fifty in the world, and that's that's maybe the, the the key to getting into this Ryder Cup squad because now he's now he won that tournament. That's going to take him up maybe about uh, high top forties in the official world golf ranking. He's now secure for the US Open, for the mm-hmm. the Open, the PGA. He gets into the WGCs, and they are all just. Excuses to generate money and, more importantly, Ryder Cup points and official world golf ranking. So it's now going to make yeah. it so much easier for him to qualify for this Ryder Cup. And it, it might even be now that maybe Thomas Bjorn was kind of thinking about, well, if Porter's got half-decent sort of uh, form leading up to the Ryder Cup, then it'd be good for a pick just to have that kind of experience on the team because captains normally go for the experienced guys over a, a mm-hmm. wild card for a rookie. But based on what Porter's now got lying ahead of him, I think he's now going to be pretty, pretty odds on to, to make the team now, um, which is quite a turnaround from even the last uh, four weeks. So it's just one more story leading into this um, Masters of in- incredible win after win of a, a lot of guys who have been forgotten about, or not, not forgotten about, pe- people who thought we wouldn't really see win again. We've got Mickelson winning the WGC, Paul Casey mm-hmm. came back at Valspar, uh, Bubba Watson won the match play, Bubba Watson's a two-time winner this year. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's so many stories running into a Masters. I, I, I don't think we've had this many stories before, and it, it's almost open that there's genuinely 20 guys who are just hitting peak form at the right time. Um, so it's in in one in one sense it's it's brilliant, but in another sense it's for, to come on a podcast and try and pick one of the guys who's going to be your odds on winner. It's an impossible task. So 
Well, it's, a t- it's, it's a task that you're going to try and attempt nonetheless, even if it is impossible. And it's amazing, actually, that you, you talked about all the great stories coming to Augusta, all the guys who have won this year and so on, who are playing well, guys who were forgotten and came from... But you didn't much mention Tiger. It's amazing. Not a single Tiger mentioned so far. So I get the first one in there. I'm sure he'll come up later yeah, in the win. discussion. Yeah, I, I got in there first. But yeah, so obviously so many guys playing well. Ian Poulter is the last guy in the field uh, and... Tell you what, after winning this, he's going to be a, a real kind of outside contender. Certainly, a lot of money will be going on him. Obviously, with the confidence behind him here, in the end, he's got nothing to lose. He's going to the Masters; it wasn't really expected, so it's a real bonus for him. No pressure there as such. Uh, then again, he, he thrives under that pressure. And Ian Poulter has played well at Augusta before. I recall him contending in uh, 2010. He was right up there with uh, Lee Westwood going into the weekend, but fell away, I think, on the Saturday. So he's played well there before. And uh, if he certainly brings a form he showed at Houston uh, to Augusta, he can certainly get into a position there to, to potentially complete what would be an even greater victory. Moving on to the Masters now, we can't really avoid it for much longer. It's obviously the first men's major of the year. Uh, it's always iconic. It's always naturally by being the first in the calendar has uh, obviously great anticipation just for that reason uh, but again as fuzzy and matt hinted there more so is really because of all the, the great stories that are bubbling around there and one guy we didn't mention as well there of course jordan spieth who again has shown form there at houston played really well looked back at something like his best and obviously he's a real augusta specialist so he's another guy we can throw in there as being a potential horses for courses uh, favorite there too so all the players at the top seem to be in a position where they could potentially win you couldn't really rule any of them out and that makes it really really exciting so probably mike weir will probably go and win again but there we are so this to kind of disappoint everybody but um, yeah. <laughs> don't put don't put your life savings on Mike Weir winning. No, 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 no. But the thing is, brawl people may kind of you know turn their noses up towards Mike Weir these days. That guy uh, was a proud Canadian, winning the Masters, and uh, no matter his game nowadays and his form, you can never take that green jacket away from him. Uh, he certainly deserves to be part of that great company of legends who have uh, won the Masters and will be sitting at the Champions Dinner on Tuesday night. And of course, Sergio will be there for the first time. But coming to the Masters now, obviously, as I said there, it's iconic. It's played at the same venue every year. So we have a great familiarity with the golf course and the setting and the holes. We can kind of recognise shots from the past. We can compare it to previous performances. We know the holes well. We've seen so many great moments there down the years. The great players who triumphed in the past, young guys who had chances to win but then blew it. So much drama has happened there. Of course, last year was a really good example of that. We had that fantastic battle with Sergio and Justin Rose on the back nine. Obviously, went to a playoff and Sergio finally won a major championship in the sparkling fashion and it was a real Augusta classic. So coming to you first, Matt, obviously the Masters has you know, so many great memories for us all. But in your time, watching the Masters from Augusta. What are the moments, what are the Masters, what are the shots and the winners that stand out to you? So I think in terms of, um, I mean, this, this this is quite quite almost difficult to pick any one. I mean, there's, I've got kind of two or three moments. Um, I think it was um, Louis Eustazen's Albatross. Mm-hmm, is, yeah, 2011, always, yeah. Yeah, it's always one that sticks out for me. Um and there was, I think, uh, was it last year or the year before when there was a hole in one on the 16th where uh, someone saw it, somebody else saw it and it just trickled in. Oh, yeah, it was 2016, yeah. Um, <laughs> but in terms of in terms of a win, um, if I was, to, if you know, if, if you were asking me to put everything in line and pick, and pick one win moment, for, for me last year 
with Sergio finally getting over the line after years and years of trying, um, just kind of just just kind of sticks out for me. You know, they, I think it was um, you know, I was very mm-hmm. apt that he was in a playoff with Justin Rose. Obviously, they know each other pretty well, um, and, and I just think it was you know the, the show of sportsmanship between the two, um, and then for Sergio to finally get over the line, as I said, um, you know, was was just fantastic. I think there wasn't there wasn't one person that wasn't pleased to see Sergio Garcia win the Masters last year. That's the one that really does. Um, you know, I don't want you to think it's a it's a cop out picking last year, but it was last year. No, no. Yeah, last year was fantastic. I said there it was a great story. I think in the end, you know, Sergio, the guy who we've kind of thought that he'd had so many chances down the years, and, you know, in terms of ability, his his sheer talent uh, certainly merited a major championship. But perhaps Augusta was maybe the least likely he had in the past criticised the golf course. It wasn't for him. He never really felt comfortable there. We all sort of thought perhaps the Open was going to be the most likely for Sergio. But now he has that Masters. He's coming back this year as a defending champion. Of course, he has his first daughter now, uh, Azalea, named after the 13th hole, uh, where he made that incredible par last year en route to winning. And uh, certainly it's one of the better names he could have chosen because uh, all, the, all the holes at Augusta National are named after trees or flowers and a few of them there are perhaps not so flattering. I'm not sure we'd have a uh, flowering crab apple uh, Garcia would be quite so good. So, so I think Azalea was probably the best of the bunch. Uh, no pun intended, of course. But uh, so Fuzzy, coming to you now, you know, Matt obviously picked the most contemporary Masters moment there uh, last year. And I should quickly say that Louis Westhazen's uh, Albatross was in 2012. I slapped myself in the wrist. I got that wrong. It was the year Bubba Watson won. And uh, I think it was also Louis Westhazen who made that hole-in-one that Matt mentioned too. So Louis Westhazen's had a few kind of moments at Augusta without winning. So who knows, maybe this year could be the year for him. But Fuzzy, coming to you, uh, you, you're of a, a slightly older vintage than Matt and considerably older than me, of course. Uh, so Fuzzy, what are your favourite Masters moments, if you if you can remember them, of course? Uh, thanks. Um, well, first of all, you, you mentioned I, I am of an older vintage and my, my, my pick's going to be from a lot earlier but just when you mentioned 2012 it just reminded me I've got an extraordinarily bad habit of booking my holidays just like Owen at the ex- exactly the wrong time and in 2012 I actually found myself in America but I was in the wrong state so um, in the middle <laughs> of the Masters I was following it all day on my phone in the middle of Walt Disney World of all places and I saw it had gone into a playoff <laughs> I was out for a meal that night because it was also my wife's birthday <laughs> and um just I timed it exactly right and made sure I excused myself to go to the toilet at exactly the right time. And the the, the restaurant we were in didn't have a TV, so I ran across the road into another a pub that was across the road and they had the Masters on. I just jumped in the door at the right time just as Bubba Watson hit that extraordinary, uh, was it the 40-yard Slight a hook it is for him. Hook it was, the yeah. trees onto yeah. the, the playoff. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that was pretty much the only shot I saw of that Masters, and it was um, a convoluted Best way of, one. of seeing it. But, <laughs> but as as for my Masters picks, um, I kind of one of my first early memories really is Sandy Lyle winning the Masters in 1988. So that's kind of my my age. Yeah, 1988. Um, I don't really remember it live. I kind of remember it live, but that's that was kind of my trigger to get into the Masters. So I kind of remembered all the Masters since then, especially um, Nick Faldo won it after Sandy twice. And then we went on a good run of Ian Wisdom and Fred Couples mm-hmm. and Bernard Langer, Jose Maria, Laughable. And that was, that was around the year that I, I really 
got into watching the Masters as a as a, a religion almost. But the the one thing that really struck me then was the the nineteen ninety six Masters because that was the first time I really witnessed golf at its most brutal and mm. watching somebody collapse in the back nine. Obviously, we're talking about um, Greg Norman here. Yeah. Greg had a, a teed off with a five shot lead over Nick Faldo and the. Nick shot five under par and Greg shot five over par. I mean, Norman's held a three-shot lead on the, the ninth tee and then headed into Eamon Corner and done a, a, done yeah. a Jordan Spieth, just like so many people has done. That was the first time I'd really witnessed that kind of drama and emotion on TV. And Suddenly by the, the 13th hole and Nick had the lead and Greg could barely hit a ball and you're just really feeling for the guy. So I, I, I remember that Masters for for those reasons, not because before, until then golf had been been a pleasure to watch, but this sort of brought out a, a lot of different experience, uh, emotions in me. That well, I'm happy to see Nick win, but oh my god, it, it was like watching um, that bloke tonight that Porter's playing Bo Hosler. Hosler, where yeah, yeah, you're, you're glad to see it into a playoff, but then he puts it from the bunker into the water, and you're like, oh, it's you, you, the sportsman in you. You want to see it winning by Porter shooting that. Or putting that long sh- putt into the hole rather than seeing a guy bunker it into a into the water. So um, after after the ninety six Masters, uh, just I, 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 almost unbelievably, I never really watched the ninety seven Masters mainly because Tiger was so much in the lead. That it, it became a bit a boring. I'll probably get absolutely shot down for that one. <laughs> Uh, the, be- the best player in history is boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, Zach Johnson in 2007, that was my favourite. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a classic, that, wasn't it? Oh, Anything stuff there. And what was, what was the one Phil hit from between the trees? Was that the 2004 where he was in the. That was 2010. When he did the shot against the trees. Yeah. 2010. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that again, that's one of the, the master shots for the ages as well. And, and of course, he missed the putt after that. That's people forget that as he hit the shot, he missed the putt for eagle. That's, that's like Tiger in two thousand and five, where um, right. a lot of people forget how how well. Um, uh, oh, his name forget Chris, Chris Markle. Chris Markle actually, although he had, a, he had a bad back nine on the Saturday, which is actually on the Sunday morning. Chris Markle actually shot something like sixty seven on the final day, and Tiger shot seventies. So Chris almost overhauled him. People forget after Tiger chips that shot in in 2005 on the 16th, um, he then went and bogeyed the next two holes and it went mm-hmm. to a playoff. But everybody just remembers, it. oh my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, life. I'm sure, yeah, we're going to see that shot so many times over the next four days. <laughs> you know, what, what amazes me, though, about that shot is we seem to continue to find new camera angles 13 years down the line, which is quite remarkable. I don't know how they do that. It's as if these, these green jackets, like they can do anything apparently, but it's quite astonishing that we do that. Um, imagine though, I know they're banned from Augusta National, but imagine that shot, that moment had happened with 10,000 people with their iPhones and their Androids out filming it. Imagine, imagine the number of angles and different angles shots you get of that be incredible. But obviously at Augusta, uh, they, they're, they frown upon mobile technology and so on. It is much of a throwback. And to be honest with you, given the, the chat about fan behaviour uh, this year on the PGA Tour, it's actually quite welcome that it's a bit more sedate at Augusta. And I do kind of think that it's disappointing nowadays that so many people 
seem to view sporting events through their the, the lenses of their mobile phones uh, rather than themselves. Because in the end, who really can? No, nobody. I know they people now think everybody cares about them, but on Twitter and Facebook, nobody really cares about their footage that they take at golf tournaments as much as they do. And uh, he's trying to live in the moment a little bit more. And Augustus certainly a case of uh, every year living in the moment and uh, some great memories there. You know, 96, I think, is actually a great example of uh, Augusta National in terms of its ability to both generate great moments and, and also disaster. It's a very enticing golf course. There's always a prospect of, of a great shot, a great moment. It invites players to do special things like what Tiger did in 2005 or what Sandy Lyle did out the bunker in 1988, and all these great moments through the years, and also it invites potential disaster. You know, obviously, with the water hazards there, the trees, the bunkers, the incredible greens, anything can happen in any hole. As we've seen, obviously, with, with Roy McIlroy's collapse in 2011, Greg Norman back in '96, and of course, perhaps most shockingly of all, Jordan Spieth at the 12th in 2016. So it, it always has, it always generates you know potential for greatness and disaster, and it makes it very compelling television. It's almost like a made for TV event. It sort of it fits perfectly, it consistently generates great moments and great drama. But then again, it hasn't always done that. We occasionally have had the odd uh, disappointing one. You know, Fuzzy mentioned uh, Zach Johnson. I hate Zach Johnson. I hate the pick on poor <laughs> Zach, a guy who in the end, of course, also won the Open Championship at St Andrews. So that's not a bad career to have. But he's he's kind of he's not really fashionable, is he? Poor Zach. It's unfortunate, and it is most disrespectful. That if you look at the um, here at St Andrews Links, uh, they have a, a great wall in the, the 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 pavilion near the first tee of the old course. They have all the champions here on the wall. Jack Nicklaus is there. Tiger Woods, Nick Faldo, Bobby Jones, Sam Snead, Lorena Ochoa is there too. And where's Zach Johnson on the toilet door? It's very unfortunate. And I'm sure it seems a bit harder to me. But there we are. So, yes, to go along with you guys and sort of bring in my own favourite moments through the years, I would certainly concur with what you guys have said. And also, if anyone wanting to kind of relive some of these moments and maybe for the first time see them in, in greater detail, Augusta National's actually unveiled uh, on the YouTube channel the last 50 years of the Masters, final round broadcasts in their entirety. You can watch Final round, you know, all the shots, all the moments. It's a great resource to have. You can relive some great moments from the past and uh, let's go back to 1968 and see the controversial Roberto Di Vincenzo scorecard error. Obviously, through the great ones in the 70s, 1975, Jack Nicholas, the uh, magnificent masters it was called when he beat uh, Tom Weiskopf and Johnny Miller, through to the, the great 86 masters when Jack came back to win age 46, or the ones where Seve won, Faldo, Lyle, Wisnam, all these great moments, and obviously the more contemporary ones too. But it's kind of a one that stands out to me, and there's actually two of them that are perhaps maybe not mentioned very often. It's not so much for who won, but more in just in the sheer entertainment value of the whole day and the event would be 2011 uh, when Charles Schwarzschild won. That was an astonishing back nine. Uh, I, I don't think there's ever been a more just unpredictable uh, finish in the Masters in terms of the number of players who were in contention. I think there's maybe seven or eight who at one point were tied for the lead uh, going into the back nine on Sunday that year. Uh, it went right to the finish. It was in, in Schwarzschild won, I think, the five birdies in the last five holes to win. It was an incredible finish, and it was in, mm -hmm. in terms of the sheer quality of golf, it was the best I've seen. And also, two thousand and nine, uh, which was a a real shot in the arm for the Masters, because if you go back to two thousand and seven, Zach Johnson, two thousand and eight, Trevor Immelman, they weren't the most thrilling 
masters. The weather was bad. The course had just been lengthened. It seemed to have the birdies and roars had been taken away from the golf course. It wasn't as exciting. But 2009, it was it was better weather. The course was playing a little bit shorter and the birdies came back. We had Tiger and Phil playing with each other on the final day and they both made a big charge on Sunday on the front nine. They played the front nine, I think it was like five or six under, you know, practically each. It was incredible. And um, it fell back a little bit towards the end. Then we had the great moment where we had three guys going into the playoff. We had Cabrera, we had Chad Campbell, Kenny Perry, who was trying to become the oldest winner. And uh, Cabrera, of course, won the playoff. But that was a great moment for the Masters. It sort of reminded us that, you know, what it was all about. And it kind of took us back to some of the great moments of the past. And I think the Masters really since then has been consistently fairly compelling. And uh, certainly as we touched on there at the start of the podcast this year, promises to be just the same. So obviously we said at the start, all these great players are playing well. There's so many fantastic stories coming in here. And we're going to to delve into now some players who we think could contend and could win. So coming to you first, Matt, you've been sitting there patiently quiet for the past 10 minutes or so as Fuzzy and me rambled on. And really, folks, that's kind of partly why we've had Matt on, to kind of dilute the Scottishness from this podcast. We think the Essex accent probably kind of counteracts the Scottishness, particularly Fuzzy, with his strong Glaswegian twang going on there. So, Matt, looking at some potential contenders for the Masters this year, who are the players you're looking at right now and thinking they'll be right there going into the back nine on Sunday? Well... Um, it's interesting to say because I've not been quiet for the last 10 minutes. For the last minutes, what I've actually been doing is writing down a list of names of players that I think can contend. Um, and I've got Jordan Spieth, Justin Rose, Roy McElroy, Tiger Woods, Henrik Stenson, Sergio Garcia. Um, honestly, <laughs> Bob Watson's on there, unfortunately. Um, I generally cannot pick a winner this year. I cannot pick a winner. I know we did a, um, all the Gold Shake Ambassadors, we did some major picks at the start mm-hmm. of the year. Um, and I know that we've, we've had a bit of, uh, I don't want to say a bit of banter with, with your usual co-host, Owen. Um, and the yes. fact that he said that, you know, I think it was the week that Rory McIlroy won. He was on the podcast. <laughs> I hadn't. Um, he, he was on the podcast saying that Rory McIlroy's absolutely no chance of winning the Masters. He's not patting well enough. Um, and that week he... <laughs> I forgot all about from all over the best. Um, in my heart of hearts, I would love to see Rory McIlroy win the Masters this year. Um, unfortunately, I don't see it happening. Um, but then, I, I really, really can't yeah. pick a winner. Um, I, I find it very, very difficult this year, actually. Last year, I've, the last few years, I've always had one or two players in my mind that I think mm-hmm. I think that guy could generally win the Masters. But I honestly, I think you could sit here and list 10, 12, 15 players that could win it this year. Um, who I think could win it I couldn't, couldn't give you an answer who I'd love to see win um, I'd love to see Rory win it this year Yeah I think that people would be in full agreement with that Rory obviously trying to go for the career Grand Slam and uh, again like Matt said there yeah, a few weeks ago our esteemed friend Owen Davis did say on this podcast and Owen is an extremely knowledgeable and uh, very good golfer and very articulate as well and he has a very well manicured beard and uh, so you, you have to listen to him but uh, it is Rory McIlroy going into the Masters had absolutely no chance. He was writing him off completely. And then, as Matt said, Rory went off to win the Arnold Palmer Invitational. In fairness to Owen, and I don't give him much credit, at the time, with the information he had to hand, 
I don't think he'd be the only person who would have ruled out Rory at that stage, but it just shows that predictions are ultimately quite useless um, and fairly meaningless. But Matt, can I mention you that? Well, that prediction yes. was. Well, was, was that, you... I was going to say that that prediction was. Yeah, well, that, that certainly was meaningless and useless. Yes, it was, uh, and it's part of the reason why we're not really missing Owen from the podcast tonight. So who knows what he'd say tonight? You know, he'd just toss everybody under the water, wouldn't he? In the bridge, yeah, you know, just who knows what he'd say. However, coming back to you, Matt, there about a couple of players that you mentioned as potential contenders. Um, First of all, Tiger. Obviously, Tiger's a big story this year. The first time he's played the Masters for three years. And really, it's the first time in even more years that we sort of feel he's a potential contender. Obviously, he's come back from injury at the end of last year into this season. He's played well. Obviously, came very close to winning the Valspar Championship. You know, good finishes at Al Palmer. He's consistently got better and better and better. Certainly, his iron play is very good. His putting's also excellent. Uh, there's still question marks when it comes to the driver and certain tee shots, which have tended to inhibit him in the past decade or so at Augusta. Look at certain par fives on the course, number two and number 13, which both require a draw for T. Tiger quite simply cannot hit that shot anymore with a driver. And uh, that's part of the reason why he hasn't won the Masters since 2005. If you look at the, the record, he's played those holes consistently worse than the guys who have won it. And often he's found himself in the top five, but hasn't won. And perhaps there's two shots a week that he's missing out on have proven to be very costly. So when it comes to... Tiger Matt obviously has a great deal of anticipation and hype because he's such a big figure, a real t- transcendent figure within golf. He breaks down boundaries; people love him, and they, they you know, he's just a he, he's a, a massive sporting icon. And um, but do you really see him being there on the mix on Sunday? Obviously, he's been playing well, but is he quite playing well enough to be right up there with the top players around this golf course on Sunday? I. Uh... I mean, I, I fully, fully take on what you're saying about the, the the draw shot that he would feel the need to hit at Augusta. Um, do you think that he's probably spent the last couple of weeks tucked away on a driving range somewhere working on that shot without shadow of that? Yes. Um, do I think he's going to be fully prepared for the Masters this year? 100%, absolutely. Do I think he's going to contend come Sunday? Um, I don't think he's going to be in contention, but I do think he will feature. Um, it, it would not surprise me to see him finish in the top five to ten. Um, and to be honest, with everything else yep. that's gone on in the golfing world for the past few weeks, I, I can't see why that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying yeah, for sure we can see Tiger feature heavily in this Masters this year. Yeah, it certainly obviously that would be the kind of the ultimate for so many people seeing Tiger come back, and certainly if he was able to win the Masters, it would be just an astonishing story where he's been in recent years and, and injury-wise, you know, a guy who practically couldn't walk and then he, you know, his back was so bad and we really doubted whether we'd actually ever see him play again, never mind coming back and potentially win majors. So it would be an incredible story if Tiger was to win. Obviously, the money has been put on him because he's up there in, in the bookies. Um, but certainly, he's you know, he obviously has great experience around here and that counts for a lot. And what we've seen in the past sort of few weeks, it's sort of shown that his putting stroke under pressure is still arguably the best there is. You know, it's been he looks really good in the greens and Augusta that can be such a big difference. Uh then down at the finish. Obviously approach shots have also been very key here. Iron play is probably the most important aspect of your game. Run Augusta it's consistently been the case down the years, but obviously separating the guys who are hitting the ball well as the putting and, and Tiger still seems to have that about him. Um, so yeah, great to see 
So obviously, you mentioned there uh, Sergio Garcia, and people are kind of talking him down a little bit when it comes to potentially winning here. I don't know why that is, but um, he's still there. He's still playing well, coming in refreshed. Uh, obviously, you know, new baby are, are here now, so it's um, a lot of good things are happening in Sergio's world. Um, so I, th- I think, we- I th- so yeah, I think, um, I'm curious, I'm unfortunately with, with Sergio, and I think we've seen it so many times over the years with the winners from the previous year. They almost have so much going on in the run-up to the Masters that I don't think they can fully concentrate 100% on their game. Um, you know, if I was going to Masters as a, defend, as a defending champion, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, know it's a, I know it's a big tradition and I know that some people might not like what I'm about to say, but I, I couldn't care less what, what the, the, the previous winners are going to be having for dinner. Um, you know, it's I, I, would, I would want to be going in to defend my title in the best mindset possible. And I think with media commitments, with the with all the other stuff that goes on, being a defending champion, plus thrown into the mix that he's, he's got a fairly newborn child, um, I just don't deep down feel that he's going to be 100% ready. Or, you know, he's not going to be able to prepare for this yeah. tournament like he would have prepared for it last year. Um, and unfortunately for me, that, that kind of right Sergio out of it. Um, but I guess if I'm wrong, come something like that, then... Yeah, it's certainly you know, obviously a lot of a lot of uh, attention comes onto you as a defending champion, and uh, but then again, it's all positive in many respects. I'm sure he'll enjoy the week, and uh, that champions dinner is obviously quite a cool thing to be part of. You know, sitting in there around all these great players of the past and the present, and uh, being part of that very exclusive goal, uh, club of winners. Um, so yeah, again, so many players there are potential contenders, and um, unfortunately, we have. Presently lost Fuzzy from the broadcast uh, due to technical problems, so we can just cut this out. Yeah, I'm back. I can hear you now. Comes together. So I'll go into my sort of picks now. But looking at Rory McIlroy, and as, as Matt said, there it'd be a great story. Everyone, I think, really, and certainly in, in the UK and Ireland, will be rooting for Rory, and I think a lot of people in America as well. He's very popular. We want to see the great players do special things, and Rory, I still believe that when everyone plays to their best, he is still the best player in the world. Um, I think there, for me certainly there's nobody who makes great golf look better than Rory McIlroy um, so will he cross the line and win here obviously it's a big if he's always said that until he wins this this is his biggest event every year so it comes with a real natural weight and pressure uh, but he's consistently played relatively well at Augusta in recent years you all remember the collapse he had in 2011 when he was in the lead and he, he threw it away bounced back to win the US Open that year of course uh, but additionally, in more recent years, he's finished a tie for eight from 2014. He finished four from 2015 and a tie for 10 from 2016. But he's tended to be kind of undercut by one bad round every week. So that has to cut that sort of 75, 76, make it a 72 or 73. And then he has a real chance to win here. Uh, so Rory, he, he obviously, as Matt said earlier, he's putting really well. He putted brilliantly at like Arnold Palmer. He believes the pressure from the rest of his game. And we all know how good he is from T the Green. And uh, so I, he would not have been a favourite several weeks ago, as our pal Owen noted. Uh, but certainly he is up there right now. And it would be hard to... You, you still fancy him to be in that in the mix going into the weekend. And I'd be surprised if he wouldn't be. And then again, he's certainly a guy who knows how to win. So it would be, be a great story. And obviously Dustin Johnson is the world number one. We're not really talking about him too much. Uh, he's one guy who hasn't perhaps won of late, really. But he's still world number one. Uh, and he's still... Obviously, an exceptional talent. He missed last year's Masters, of course, after falling down the stairs of his room, which is a bit of an odd story. Uh, but now he's back. 
and um, his stats are, are, are pretty good. He obviously is superb off the tee. Uh, he's a very solid putter nowadays. Number he's, he's 15th in putting on the PGA Tour. But the one thing that's letting him down is his approach play. He's 66th in approaches on the PGA Tour. And that's probably not good enough to win at Augusta. You have to be hit your, your shots into the air, into the greens, the right part of the greens. Off these greens are extremely undulating and fast. Being below the hole is always key. Find the right parts of the greens. And uh, so approach play is always massive at Augusta. And Dustin's perhaps not quite there yet, but we all know how good he is and what a talent he can be. And when he's at his best, he's sometimes unstoppable. So, but yeah, and as Matt said earlier, you know, Jordan Spieth has to be up there. And now we've seen him at Houston. He played really well at Houston, uh, contended there, came out of nowhere. And uh, after really some disappointing form, struggles in the greens, uh, particularly short putts. But his approach play, his iron play, has been superb for a while now. Arguably, he's probably the most underrated ball striker on tour. Uh, and certainly that was the case at Houston. But he had his touch in the greens back again, and, and that's always key. And at Augusta National, I think Spieth is some of these guys who he always puts well there because he's a great visual putter. He's got a wonderful ability to pick out the lines and have a feel for the pace. And that's obviously over medium to longer putts, a huge uh, asset to have. And I think that's why he's done so well at Augusta over the years. Obviously winning there in 2015, obviously coming so close a couple of years ago as well. And, and actually in his debut year as well, when he finished second to Bubba. So Spieth is a one of the most incredible uh, minds we have in the game. We saw what he did at the Open last year at Birkdale, the way he came back to win that. You know, that was one of the most astonishing back nines I've seen in a major. And it just underlined his incredible mental toughness that he has, you know, and that's a great asset to have for any great champion. And I, you know, we still forget he's only 24, coming up for 25. He's won three majors, and it seems unthinkable that he won't win at least another Masters or two, and that it could very well be this year. Uh, he will certainly be a, a man to look out for on the leaderboard. And then we have Justin Thomas, who's you know won so many events in the past year and a half. Obviously won his first major at the PGA last year. You can't rule him out. You know, he's so good, so consistent, and um, you know, so confident as well. So powerful off the tee, and uh, you know, obviously a great approach iron player as well, which is obviously the key to have. So, Fuzzy, I'm going to come to you now and um, talk about your picks for the Masters. Obviously, Matt's went through his. Uh, he, he ruled out certain people and uh, picked others, and I've picked my guys as well. So, Fuzzy, who do you think? Uh, we'll see contending on that legendary back nine on Sunday. Um, nobody, no. <laughs> there was, um, no. Nobody at all. <laughs> no, nobody's going to win. Um, there's, there's, what was, I've been, over the last couple of days, I've been looking through who's won it in the past and what makes a champion. What's the, what's the record that a champion has going into the Masters? And one of the things that struck me is Phil Mickelson has played 94 competitive rounds of golf at Augusta. And I mean, half <laughs> most most of us would give our granny's teeth to play one round of golf at Augusta. Imagine playing ninety four rounds of golf at Augusta. And that doesn't even include the the, the practice rounds. So, I mean, Phil's hitting about four. Mm-hmm. He's played the Masters twenty five times. He's made the cut twenty two times. He's been top ten sixteen times in his three wins. So, even Phil in a reasonable kind of form, ninety four rounds of golf at Augusta. He, he must know. The course absolutely inside out, and you have to think he's he's going to be there or thereabouts. He's, he's age forty eight now, and the low Jack when when he was age forty six, I mean, Phil 
doesn't look nearly as old as Jack was when Jack won in 1986. And you, you have to think that Phil... Sorry, Jack. Sorry. <laughs> but you have to think that Phil's maybe got another Masters in him, but will it be this year? I'm kind of not convinced just because there's so much other things going on. So it's Phil, I think, it's maybe good for an each-way bet, but not not on the nose. Um, you, men- you mentioned Bubba earlier. The thing about Bubba is... He either wins or he's outside the top twenty. He's he's made the cut eight out of nine times, but it just seems to be Bubba. You'll know if Bubba's going to win after four holes on Sunday. Uh, sorry, on Thursday because Bubba, if he starts off bogey bogey, that's him gone. I think there's something maybe a bit his mentality about the game that if his head goes down, he's out. But if Bubba's there after four holes on Thursday, then Bubba will be really really contending for it. Um, the other one, the, the, the weird one that's we've not really mentioned is, is Dustin Johnson, and this is the first time we've ran into a, a major. And the, the world number one is really flying underneath the radar because nobody's expecting him to mm-hmm. really do anything. Uh, Dustin's Dustin's um, record at the, the Masters is actually okay, but he, Dustin fits into a group of players who have all got similar kind of. Um, Histories at the Masters. Now, if you look at previous winners of the Masters, um, apart from Danny Willett and Jordan Spieth, who both won, they both won their green jackets on their second Masters. Over the last 20 years, it's normally people who have played the course between four and five times. The average is 4.6. So generally, you need a bit of experience mm-hmm. going into the Masters. So when you look at players yeah. who haven't won the Masters, it is a group of them who have between four and eight outings at the Masters. Again, a general trend with the, the, the previous winners is they tend to have a couple of top fives or a couple of top ten, maybe three or four top tens under the belts. And Dustin Johnson is one of them, but also is um, Matt Kutcher, uh, Jason Day, Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler. So I think going by the pure statistics of it all, that's the group that you really want to watch. So, so it's going to be Rory, Fowler, Jason Day, Dustin Johnson. And the more experienced couple out of those, that group is going to be Matt Kutcher and Justin, those who both of them have uh, more than 10 masters. So um, the my I don't know if sorry, I don't know if you picked up earlier or my, my internet lagged out, but my, my pick from that is Lori because Lori's just had four top tens in a row. He's only missed one cut going into the Masters, I think. Lori is a guy, but if it's not going to be Lori out of that group, uh, my eye is on Ricky Fowler. Um, Ricky Fowler, again, oh, there you go. Yeah, I mean, but Ricky's only had a top five at the Masters, but I think uh, he's a frustrating guy. I think, again, Ricky's a bit like Bubba, that if he gets off to a bad start, he generally is his head's down. But I think Butch, I've, I just, I've been reading a couple of interviews with Butch Harmon and uh, and I find the tell it, and I think Butch is really giving Ricky a kick up the backside this year, and saying to Ricky that this this is really a make or break year for Ricky. And if it's not going to be mm-hmm. the Masters, I think Ricky's maybe going to be right up for the Open at Carnoustie. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just seeing this. He's a Ricky's watching his his peers of uh, Jordan Spieth's got a, a, a major, and uh, Justin Thomas has got a major, and I think. If Ricky doesn't win a major this year, I think he can maybe maybe lose interest in it. So this is, I think, is going to be a make or break year for Ricky, and I think 
if it's not going to be Rory or Tiger, I think it might be Ricky. Oh well, you know, Ricky would not perhaps be one of the main favourites, but certainly he's he's capable. We all know how good he can be. Perhaps he hasn't quite shown it consistently enough. Um, you mentioned that year where he actually contended in all the majors. That was twenty fourteen. I think he was top five in all four of them. Didn't win one of them, of course. And maybe there's a bit of scar tissue there that he didn't quite close the deal out there. The one he had the best chance in was the Open that year at Liverpool, where um, Highlake, where uh, Rory won. But yeah, obviously, again, as we've all touched on, there's so many guys who are playing well. You know, obviously, you know, Justin Rose came so close last year. Can he, you know, get redemption this year and win that? Get a green jacket, and um, certainly he's a Augusta specialist. Has played well consistently there for a long time now. Often, often leads after the first couple of days, and uh, so yeah, there are so many players. You know, obviously the Augusta specialists, Bubba, horses for courses, Phil. A guy who is always he always feels confident going to Augusta. The course fits his imagination and the way he plays, and he has a great eye for it and a great feel for the golf course, and uh, obviously immense experience. And uh, obviously, I said earlier, Spieth. You know, Spieth's the guy who he's again he's one of these players who you can see contending at the Masters for years and years to come, and he has that amazing mental toughness. And obviously, now some form under his belt, and uh, he's going to be maybe the most, maybe the danger man this week. Certainly, he'll take a lot, an awful lot from that performance at Houston. And um, I think the, the greens at Augusta, they just suit the way he visualizes putts perfectly. And that's why he's played well there in the past. And again, the great ball striking that he has. So, there are so many players who can win Augusta. Sorry. sorry, on you go. Could I come in a bit Spieth there? Because Spieth was one of the guys that pretty much written off before the, the before today, what he's done uh, this weekend at um, Houston. Yeah. And again, Spieth's played the Masters four times and made the cut four times. But the, the, way, the way to play Augusta is, isn't is just hitting the green. You can, I think it was Jack Nicholas says, you have to divide the greens up into four places, into four Correct. quadrants, and you have to hit the right bit of the green. Mm-hmm. And when people rave on about Spieth's putting, it's the half the key here is Spieth's iron play. Yeah. Uh, you have to hit the right quadrant. And the way Spieth played the weekend at Houston, that's exactly what's come on. I think his, his strokes gain putting this weekend is still pretty poor. Um, but his strokes gains iron, he's going to get this ball into the right bit of the green. So he is going to make an impact at Augusta. I don't think his putting's quite there yet. He's he said he's, um, he's, I think he's a illness, so he's, he's not putting as much practice as he would have liked. I think his putting has still got a wee bit to go. I think he'll make the cut. I think he'll be there or thereabouts, but I don't think Spieth's going to win. And that's possibly going to come back and bite me. Um, the, yes, the other guy who has this problem. That's going be your own moment there, yes. That's, that's your own Rory moment. Yeah. Yeah. I famously said that about Mickelson at the 2013 Open. I said Mickelson's never going to win an Open, and they went out and won it at Muirfield that year. So, um, <laughs> yeah, put your money in whoever that's right off. But to come back to Rory quickly, it was just because it's on the same theme of hitting the right back of the green. With Rory, if his putting struggles, I was, I was always wondering if it was a bit of a chicken and an egg situation here because he was putting his putting was putting a lot of pressure on his irons to get the ball close. And I think it's, it was putting too much pressure and he wasn't getting the ball close enough with. He was missing greens with a seven iron in his hand, which he shouldn't do at his kind of his level. That's acceptable for me, maybe. Um, so, though, although though these buttons came along, I think his irons came along as well. So if, again, if Rory can hit, if he's if his ball striking's right up there, and he hits the right bits of the green, he only has to be in the top twenty twenty five of putting, and he will win this with a canter. So, the guy to watch out for is 
although Augusta's always famed for being a bit of a putting contest and people look at Spieth and people will be criticising all these puttings, look at the key to it is look at who is hitting the irons to the right bits of the green, yeah. who's using the slopes. More importantly, don't put it in the wrong bit of the green. If you're going to miss the correct quadrant, then put it, cover the ball so it goes into maybe the not so good quadrant, but it's certainly not in the fourth best quadrant because then you're certainly in three putt country down there. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, come, uh, yep. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you there. Obviously, and, and, and again, approach play is key. I said earlier, earlier, you know, obviously it's a case of make sure you have the ball below the hole because um, the putts above the hole at Augusta are just impossible. Doesn't matter how good your touch is, you're not going to hold any putts doing that. You're going to free putt all the time. I think that's where Spieth, again, as you said, with the approach play has uh, this year. And actually, again, his ball striking is underrated. And uh, if he can find any sort of feel with the putter, and I do think the medium length putts around Augusta, he has a great feel for the for the pace and the line, better than most. And that's why he's done so well there. And, and, and again, what's a fairly early career. But uh, yeah, Rory obviously is a big, big, big story for everybody. Probably, if, if it's not going to be Tiger winning, which would be an astonishing story, I think Rory would be the next best story in terms, just in terms of the magnitude of him coming back and winning a major, completing the Grand Slam. It would be massive for the game because Rory is an, an, an immense figure. And I said earlier in the podcast, nobody makes great golf look better than Rory McIlroy. And I hope to see him and all these guys I've mentioned play so well and complete. You know, We've hyped up so much. You know, the promise is to be a great Masters. It can only disappoint us from here, but we hope not. Uh, there's so many guys that can win. If we get even two or three of these names that we've talked about right up there on Sunday afternoon, it's going to be just a classic. So hopefully it's what we, that, that, that is delivered this weekend. So, Matt, coming to you, final thoughts on the Masters before we close out this podcast. Is it going to be a case of you parked on the sofa for 24-7 from Thursday through Sunday then? Um, first, I did live on the range tomorrow, but today, in theory. <laughs> live on the range, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm anticipating, you know, what, what could potentially be one of the one of the greatest masters that we've seen in, you know, the last few of you know, individual stories and, you know, one or two individual players, whether it's Sergio, Danny Riddick, but like we said, you know, we've, there's probably a list of players that we haven't even mentioned this evening. Um that are you know are going to contend, are going to feature, and yeah, I'm just I'm just excited. I'm pumped, as the Americans yeah. would say. Um, he's yeah, pumped. Like, he's pumped up like Ian Poulter. Yes, yeah. he's almost <laughs> a bit of Poulter aggression, so a bit of Poulter passion. So, Fuzzy, how about you? Are you looking forward to having the weekend, watching the Masters with the boys on the sofa? The boys being yeah, his sons, not, not the lads. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, well, more more beer for me, less for them. Yes, exactly. uh, yeah, we've, we've got the we've got the, the big. We've actually got a, a big screen now, so we put it up in the big screen, and um, we, we sat and watched it last year. Thankfully, uh, last year I actually put money in Justin Rose, and my wife put money on Sergio, so it was quite interesting. The la- last couple of holes, um, we when we, we bottled it by the eighteenth team, both cashed in the bets. Oh, come <laughs> but, on. Absolutely, but with, with so many with so many stories coming into the, the Masters, it's got absolutely all the hallmarks of being a complete stinker. <laughs> Don't say that! It's, Don't uh, say that! Come on, <laughs> we're optimistic here. Uh, well, we're, we're going to see a victory by the, the two time winner this year, Pat and Kazari. Kazari, Kazari, you can't even pronounce his name right. There we go. He's been for a long time. He's a FedEx Cup winner. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So Kyle he's, he's going to win it with a. <laughs> so yes um, again if Sky's kind of going over the top with their coverage and no doubt by 
uh, Wednesday will be watching the, the Par 3 contests at just saying, <laughs> oh, how bad is this? Oh, I can't believe I'm watching it, but absolutely watching it because <laughs> if, if, in the run-up to it, you, you watch the drive, chip and putt, contest you watch anything to do with the masters because you just can't wait because it's the start of the golf season everybody um it was the start of start of the golf season my, my own course yesterday but with the forecast a snow forecast so i bottled it so we've not actually played much golf this year um my, my golf shake um email was pretty grim reading but it, it, <laughs> everybody is it's christmas day and uh, thursday it's the start of the golf season we've got walter wall masters and the, the sun is out let's get onto the golf course well, I couldn't have said it better myself, and you're quite right there. The Masters has also been kind of the quintessential beginning of the UK golf season for so many people, kind of the, the rite of passage into spring. And of course, this year, after what's been a pretty horrendous winter, and even into the into the spring, it's been very disappointing uh, across the country, hard conditions, a lot of snow and poor weather, and just it's been a tough time for golf courses. And uh, we've certainly seen that reflected as well in terms of people involved in Golf Shake too. And of course, if people are... Still out playing this week. Uh, we've just had the Made to Score Challenge with Under Armour. That's come to its end this week. We're going to have a new one, of course, uh, with Cobra Golf starting around the Masters. So do keep your eyes peeled for that across the social channels, the website, and, of course, the email newsletters. Uh, new details and a new challenge and new prizes to win. Because in the end, at Golf Sheet, we want you to go out there and play more and play better and get your stats and rounds tracked and uh, improve your game this season as we get into the into the golf season. However, first of all, again, it's trying to enjoy the Masters. Again, as Fuzzy and Matt have both said, it could be a classic. You know, All the potential is there. We just hope that it delivers. The Masters is unlike anything else. It's the first men's major of the year, and it has that wonderful, iconic tradition to it. It's one that we all enjoy staying up late to watch. And if you're watching the Masters this year, we hope you do so. And also follow the coverage this week on the Golf Shake website and also channels. We have many great features and previews and so on from our talented team of writers. And I hope you enjoy that too. So, Fuzzy, thank you for coming once again onto the Golf Shake podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you despite the the technical difficulties. Thank you again. Thank you for having me again. Yes, you, you are forgiven. And Matt, thank you for being a late entrant into the podcast you were fantastic as always and uh, you brought your perspective in there and i think now it's time for you to go to your bed yes i think so i was the ian Potter of the podcast <laughs> you, you were indeed the last man in the last man in indeed so it was ian Poulter, last man into augusta who knows i got, I got the call when i started fist pumping my chest <laughs> yes he hold the crucial 15 footer on the last to come in so hopefully who knows maybe Ian Poulter could add that uh, seven days from now could actually pick up a green jacket too would now wouldn't that be a story one of many that are possible so thank you for listening to everybody enjoy the masters and get out there playing during the day and record and track your stats and golf shake and until next time my name is Kieran Clark alongside Stuart Armstrong and Matt Holbrook thank you for listening